over the past 12 months, artists have had to adapt. They've had to change how they're progressing and how they are showing themselves to new audiences. Hello and welcome to List Envy, the podcast in which I work with a guest to build a top five list on a topic they choose. My name is Mark Stedman and this week's guest is Ella Gregg, who runs the music artist development platform 321 Artists. Uh, we were uh, We got talking about positive technology uh, developments that have helped musicians. And this is something that is obviously near and dear to Ella's heart is also something that uh, I felt like I had some contributions to make as well. So we ended up building a really good list. So uh, let's just crack straight on with it. This episode is part of a a sort of a music rock block, if you will. And if you won't, I'm sorry. Um, but we've got a few episodes lined up that are all about music. So this, this kicks us off uh, in great style. So I started by asking Ella what the role of technology has played in her approach to music. Let's begin. So I started really supporting emerging music when I was about 15. And that was kind of when I was just discovering social media and the ability to find one artist and it can lead you to the next very quickly. And I think um, through there, I was exploring um, live streaming and then going to see these um, artists perform live and because I'd built such a relationship with them on social media already um, by the time we got to the gig and started chatting it was like we were friends already um, and then from there when I was um, 18 I was scouted to work for a platform called Secret Sessions which very heavily on video sessions and giving the music, musicians the opportunity to perform live and have opportunities to have their music played in adverts and, and films and things like that. So technology was a big part of my role when, when working with Secret Sessions because we had to make sure that um, the music that we were choosing was, was right for the client and um, just giving them opportunities that they might not have had much knowledge about of how the whole sync world works um, and through working there I kind of figured out that artists hadn't really been given there's no such thing as a handbook for, for musicians and they weren't there wasn't many resources out there for them and the the resources out there weren't great um, and they've definitely developed over the past few years now and that's through tutorials online or that's through online webinars that they can attend um, so technology has been really important for me um, working through the music industry and I now um, run a artist development platform called um, 321 Artists and it's kind of been described as like a one-stop shop for artists we have lots of services all in one place for them um, and it gives them the opportunity to, instead of having, you know, 20 different tabs open, it's all in one place and it's a lot quicker for them and accessible and there's no difficult jargon that makes it inaccessible for anyone. Um, so technology for me has been, been vital. Everything that I've done in the music industry has been very digital, um, which has been a really interesting journey for me, kind of growing up from discovering music um, when I was 15, so then working in the industry myself and, and running a platform myself. Nice. Do you have particular uh, genres that you favour? Are you, uh, you know, or, or are you just sort of across across a spectrum? 
I think it's normally been quite heavily focused on your typical pop, um, your acoustic singer-songwriter, your um, indie. But I think with the adaptations of algorithms and different playlists that are easy to access, it's changing all the time because it's I'm having the opportunity to make it develop all the time. It's a lot easier now for that to happen. Whereas previously you might have created your own playlist and that would have been about it. You know, it was a kind of music that you were introduced to was quite limited. Whereas now it's a lot more open. So it's really exciting that your, your taste can change. So regular. As I got older or as I get older, um, I'm definitely I don't know. Like I, I am becoming that cliche. I'm not discovering stuff as much um, as as I as I wanted to, or as much as I used to. I'm not actively seeking it out. I think I want it to passively come to me. Um, whereas you know, when I was younger, it was it was about seeking it out. And and I'm of an age where um, my either my pocket money or the money that I'd earned from from my my Saturday job or my my first little job Saturday morning. Uh, or early afternoon, go down the uh, the high street into Woolworths, have a look at the CDs there. Um, you know, pick out a few things, and every now and again, walking into a record shop and um, hearing something and feeling cool because you've asked the 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 person behind the counter, like, "Oh, who's this?" And then you buy that, and like, yeah. And 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 since then, it's just if the algorithm hand delivers something to me, then I tend to you know want to pick it up. Whereas I'm not on you know Pitchfork and and various other places, sort of seeking out new stuff. I think it used to be so much more personal though. You know, like you say, you used to work in you used to walk into a shop and be able to have a conversation with the people who work there and be like, What do you recommend? and they can recommend it to you and you can have those conversations and connections. Whereas now it's so quick, I feel like you kind of lose that in a way. You're kind of force fed music they think you might like, whereas sometimes you don't want that. You want something completely different that you've never you'll never have personally chosen before and i don't know how much of an opportunity you have of that when you're not picking up random records in a shop kind of thing the 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 best example i have of that so far is uh i was where i used to work my uh my boss um had been given a spotify um uh what they call it the the discover weekly been given a recommendation of uh of this cosmo sheldrake guy um and it was this one track uh i'm trying to think which one it was wasn't tardigrade it wasn't pelican it was uh something else uh, animal themed and it was just this such a different sound and this sort of mixture of, of his vocals and his harmonies and then these found sounds that he'd created and made into samples and stuff and it was it was perfect like i i really really dug it and there was no way an algorithm was going to throw that up for me and so those moments of serendipity of just overhearing stuff um yeah we need to find ways yeah, to preserve that i guess i think there there's definitely work to be done there for sure so then um we are we are talking about um, positive tech developments for musicians what uh if you're building if well you you have built a list um what is the very top of that list for you my number one right now um is is live streaming um i think over the past 12 months artists have had to adapt they've had to change how they're they are um progressing and how they are showing themselves to new audiences and i think live streaming has been one of the most effective ways of how artists have really they've just taken the situation and been like we're not having that 
and and we're still going to perform and we're still going to play in front of an audience. And it's been admirable to watch. Um, it was very quick after the first lockdown started that artists, you'd see an increase of live streams like every hour in the evening, 7pm, you'd get so many notifications saying this band are now going live and they were really, you know, making the most of it and especially through a lot of social platforms it's all free of charge to to either stream live or watch live um which makes it again more accessible to so many more people um and there's no like geographical limit either so someone who's in i don't know spain could be listening to a tiny band from the uk and post lockdown there's there's no stopping the opportunity that can come from that um, so it's really exciting, I think, for emerging artists who have taken the opportunity to work out how they can still perform live, which is such a massive element to being musicians. That's, you know, that's their bread and butter is performing live. And I think it's been really exciting watching how live streaming has really, really taken off. That's fantastic. Are you finding that um, bands are, are able to to charge now and, and make money out of those live streams or are they about sort of promoting stuff for the future? There's definitely a mixture. I mean, a lot of companies are really making the most of pay to play now. Um, they're really kind of looking at promotion companies who were p- having live events previously are now thinking, well, we can can we still make money through online um and i was doing a bit of um research into this because i was really interested so there's a venue in london called the union chapel um which um you know as the name suggests is a chapel that's kind of been used for live events um and in june last year an artist called laura marling who's amazing um she sold four and a half thousand tickets at 12 pound and made around 54 grand just from that show, you would never fit four and a half thousand pound into that venue. Um, <laughs> no. Four and a half thousand people in that venue, sorry. But the the fact that she made so much money from, you know, a live streamed event is incredible. And to think how people are really making the most of it. And they're, like I said, they are looking at the options available to them. And for artists who are doing this on a full-time basis, the opportunity to make money is still there for them, you know, and I think that's really, really important. Um, I was just shocked by those numbers, really. Are, are people talking about the, the, I guess, the difficulty of not having that live audience to, to, to get that energy, that, that feedback to sort of bounce off? Um, is that something that you're finding with, with the people you, you talk to? Because I... Obviously, that's something that you'll get with um, with stand-ups. They, you know, they need the laughter. Is that sort of translating across to, to music? Yeah, definitely. So I manage a band called Honeybees, and we've been invited to do a few um, live streams with di- different promotion companies with them, and they found it really tough because obviously they can't... Um, there's two members of the band and then extra music- musicians who play with them, and they can't get together. So it's just Charlie, who's the main singer, playing by himself. And he's not used to singing the songs and creating that energy by himself. And he was very much like, this isn't right. And we can't, I can't show what Honeybees is through just me sitting playing a guitar. That's not what we are. Um, So they're definitely struggling to, you know, get that same 
energy from them, especially when on a lot of the live streams you can see how many people are watching. Um, and if you don't have a certain number that you've created in your head, you think it's not successful. Um, and it's the same as obviously in a in a venue, you might have four bands on the bill, people are in the room for different people. Whereas if you're doing a live stream, the chances are it's just your audience and there isn't that room for, um, you know, cross audiences and engaging with new people. Um, so there is that kind of downside to the live streaming um, kind of craze that's going at the moment. Um, but, I, you know, I think it's shown that a lot of people are... Um, they have found success from it and there have been really, really successful yeah. live stream series or events that have happened. And there's been a lot of charity events as well um, and live streaming that have been really successful and beneficial. So long may it, well, I was going to say long may it continue, but we hope that we don't need it for yeah, too, for too definitely. much longer. But, you know, as long as we do need it, let's hope <laughs> it's still there. Um, so my number one, I'm going to go with... Uh, an, an older tech, um, an older piece of tech, but I think uh, I, I, hopefully you'll, you'll you'll see where I'm coming from. I, I want to go with a loop pedal mm-hmm. because I think this has enabled so many musicians to create, you know, so many solo musicians to create such a, a an interesting and different sound. Uh, obviously, you've got the the likes of um, of Ed Sheeran who who came up um, playing. You know, I first saw him on a, a BBC thing. Um, when they were covering Edinburgh and it was one of his sort of more upbeat tracks, you know, before he'd, he'd just before he sort of exploded. Um, and you know, it's, it's just him with a loop pedal and, and some guitar riffs and stuff. And, you know, Katie Tunstall back in the day doing it. Um, I remember really enjoying and then seeing, seeing local gigs, seeing how bands uh, or, or sing, single artists are able to create these more layered sounds. And again, the, the guy I was talking about earlier, Cosmo Sheldrake, he does the same thing. He'll create, uh, you know, he, he might do uh, some, some vocal noises or he'll find some audio somewhere and he'll just start improvising using a loop pedal and sort of found sounds or, or bits of, you know, scat. Um, and he, you know, you, you can create this, this amazing sound. And then with, with sort of the, the modern technology, the, the ability to be able to take layers away and then bring them back again. So you can create a, a real dynamism in the song. Um, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing that enables, solo musicians uh, especially to um to go out and and be to add you know add extra entertainment onto onto what they can already do i used to manage an artist who used a loop pedal um called lucy mare and she was incredible and it was something that so many audiences were completely astounded by and they were mesmerized by her um, using this loop pedal, loop pedal, and how it all worked, and a lot of people had never come across one before. They'd obviously heard of them, but had never seen one used with their own eyes. So it was always such an interesting element of her performance. And I genuinely think that a lot of opportunities were offered to her because she used something different. She was utilizing equipment that wasn't your typical, you know, drums and a couple of guitars. It it, it was completely new and completely different. And I think it's interesting to see how the industry reacts to things that, like you say, aren't particularly the newest technology, but are still seen as being this unique tool um and i know that she really 
it was something like she was very influenced by um, Ed Sheeran and, and at the time she was like well if he can do it I can do it and, and I think that's such an interesting yeah. and, and lovely kind of I don't know I think it's just, it's just a really nice um, attitude to have and I think she was someone who always wanted to better herself and learn more um, and that piece of of equipment is is something that requires a lot of time um but once you've got it you've got it and it sounds incredible i remember seeing this is 15 years ago now i saw uh, a comedian sort of comedy musician who i just knew him as a stand-up but he he, he did um he, he did a, a music set a guy called boothby graffo and uh, he was a support act and he came on with I mean, I should have put this in. The, the actual guitar he had was quite impressive because it looked like an electro... Well, it was an electroacoustic. Um, and, and he came on and he, and he started playing and he was just doing this this sort of um, four-chord riff or whatever, or, you know, four chords. Um, completely normal. And then he he just... He, he throws his hands up and he backs away from the guitar. And actually what happens is uh, the, the, the guitar keeps playing and, he you know, he's, he's still doing the fingering and the, the, the same chords are going. And then he, he steps away from the guitar. And we, none of us have noticed the time at which he's actually engaged the loop pedal. Um, so, you know, because he, he keeps playing and we don't realise where the, where the join has been. Uh, and he's able to sort of step away and go, you know, no hands, Ma. Um, and then the, the impressive thing about the guitar itself was the, because it, it was um, uh, an electroacoustic, it was also a MIDI controller. Right. So he was able to just switch to different uh, MIDI voices uh, and play them on the guitar, which I'd never seen before. Because obviously, you know, keyboards all the way, but uh, to, to have a MIDI controller in a guitar, I thought it was that was really impressive. I think something that a lot of artists forget sometimes is that a live show isn't just a gig, it's an experience. And when you can bring something completely different and that, engaging it makes such a difference and I think it's something that I've always tried to kind of encourage with my artists that I work with to remember that you could do you could be on a tour and do 10 gigs in a in, you know in a couple of weeks but each and every single one of them needs to be an experience for you and the audience and I think having equipment and instruments like that makes such a difference what's number two for you Number two for me is um, multiple participant video calling technology, um, which I think some people have a bit of a love-hate relationship with, um, especially over the past 12 months. But I think it has led to the music industry and creative industries adapting and they have, like I say, used it as a way of creating new opportunities and... um, especially over the past 12 months, it's been incredible to see how many songwriting sessions have happened from artists from different corners of the world um, or, you know, producers can't necessarily have people in their studios, but they can still complete the work over this technology where you can share your screen, you can share your audio. You're basically in the room with them, but doesn't don't need to be in the room um and i just feel like it has created an opportunity for artists to really develop in a way that they might not have thought about before and oh i can't work with them because i can't afford to fly to america or you know it's there in in front of you and i think it has really encouraged people to look at the technology they have in front of them and be like yeah I can utilize this 
which I think has been amazing to watch. And it also means that um, you can have more exclusive opportunities. For example, we one of the bands that I manage, Honeybees, we did a exclusive live stream for some of their um, supporters. There was a very limited amount of people who could um, have the link and they came in and they played a few songs and answered some questions. And it was amazing that they could have that connection at home when people kind of needed a bit of a pick-me-up and it was there for them free of charge. I mean, some of these, um, you know, channels that you can use for these video calling you can have up to a hundred participants like it's incredible that you can get all those people in one place at the same time watching the same thing listening to the same thing and i think it's been a it's been a, a lifesaver for a lot of a lot of people over the past 12 months completely uh i've, I've attended a few uh zoom gigs and they are they, they've been wonderful and w- one of the ones I've, I've enjoyed um is a musician uh that i follow and he he has a, a song that he sort of always plays at the end of every gig and he would do that live as well um, but at the end of every gig he plays the song and um during i think it's all the way through the song uh he's his <laughs> so he's downstairs in the basement and then his wife is upstairs she's running the zoom call um and what she's doing is she zips between uh she does like a, a screen share or whatever not a screen share but she in zoom pulls focus to different audience members throughout the song. So she'll hold for, for like a second and a half or, you know, a few beats. Uh, and, and so you get this lovely jumbotron moment of people watching the gig and then suddenly they realise they're in, you know, they're live, they are the gig. Uh, and they go mental and, you know, uh, and it's really great. And, I, you know, I, I got... I was on there once and it was, it just feels great because you really feel part of it in a, in a way that you can't otherwise. Um, and you know, he, he's downstairs and he's watching these faces as well as he's playing. And it's just, it's, it's such a, a novel thing. And it's such a, you know, that I think there are things during this time that we're going to take and uh, uh, along with a lot of the, the unfortunate and the, the, the horrible memories we'll have. I think there'll be a few of these where we'll go, remember that that was a thing, you know, remember this weird ingenious way that we came, uh, came with, you know, for, for communicating with each other and, and, uh, finding ways to collaborate or whatever. And I think, um, it, you know, it's, it's lovely that we, that we have that and we found it fairly quickly, I think. Yeah. And I think it's really opened up opportunities for education as well. There's been a lot of exclusive webinars and things on there. You've obviously got the opportunity. Oh, my my guitar teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm doing I'm doing I'm learning guitar over Zoom <laughs> or over Skype, uh, and I have been for like uh, ten months. You know, I've played the piano for years. Never never played the guitar. I wasn't about to trek with a guitar every week to a to a teacher, but he can come to me in my living room and and we just sit and play for forty five minutes. It's great. That's the thing. And people, sorry to interrupt. That's okay. And people have had to adapt, haven't they? You know these these teachers who really rely on that income. They think, well, I, I, there's no reason why I can't do this online, so I'm going to do it online. And I think the opportunity for you to record the session as well is is really important and a really great feature that is going to be beneficial, which means that if you didn't get to go to that webinar at that time, you can just watch it again another time. And I think it's a really a really useful tool that I don't think will go anywhere. I think it's I think it's only going to adapt and expand and and progressively get better. Um, and, and lead to further opportunities. Yes, yes. Um, mm, I, I'm not sure I'm happy with what my next one 
was going to be because I don't know. So I'm, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump to my next one, and then we can we can see if we can circle back. Um, but I'm going to go hardware again. This is the the only other. Actually, it's I've got three hardware things. But this is number two, um, and this is the handheld SD card recorder. Um, so there there are there are many many types uh i've got about three of them in my in my drawers um and so they, they're usually oddly enough made by a company called zoom uh they make the the really good ones um and i like these because they're really versatile and so you can use them to uh I, i'm pretty sure i have plugged them in or or, or put one down and recorded a gig uh, sorry recorded a um a rehearsal session with a you know a band I was in years ago, uh, and you've got that option. Um, they the mics are tend to be higher quality than you'll get on your smartphone, um, and they they're super portable. They're really easy to use. You can then plug in mics. You know you, you've usually got uh, XLR inputs if you've got uh, mics or, or instruments you want to plug in, uh, and uh, or there's just a line input, or you can use the embedded mics. You can also do all of it. So if you wanted to record a gig and get the sound from the desk and the audience as well, uh, the crowd, if you're in a live gig, you can do that as well. And there's just so many things you can do with these. You can use them for practice, or you can use them for uh, for actually you know re- recording your your real work. And uh, I, I think I think they're a re- you know revelation. And I, I got my first in 2008 and used it pretty much exclusively for for podcast stuff. But um, I, I think I think they're such a wonderful piece of uh, of tech that enables us to get better quality um, practice audio and um, slightly better quality gig audio than we might be able to otherwise. I think it's so important to have the opportunity to save that audio from a live show because there's so much you can use from it, get out of it, benefit from having it. And I don't think a lot of artists utilise that enough and, and understand that that's something that, that happens and that you can do and you can benefit from. Uh, it's such a unknown, I think, that you're allowed to do that. Some people, you know, don't understand that venues are fine with you doing that most of the time. It just means that you can have, you can expand on that opportunity that you had. So if you've had a really good show, it doesn't have to stop at that show when you leave the venue. You know, it can now go online. You can, you know, release it as as audio and have different versions of of your songs. And like you say, it's just an incredible opportunity for artists to to benefit from that, from such a simple piece of equipment. Um, and it has really opened up the services that can be provided by creatives and just, you know, put an extra, an extra skill in their back pocket. It's funny you mentioned the, the sort of, um, venues and things. Cause, uh, I remember we, we used that. I did, um, uh, we had a sort of a, like a variety performance that we did a few years ago uh, at a local venue here. And it was a 50 seat venue. It was this tiny little theater, lovely, really lovely little room. Um, and we were doing a sort of a radio play and then I was doing music for it. And we just said to the, you know, my, the, the guy running the show, um, head of our little group, he just, he, he got his little zoom recorder out and he just went up to the guy in the booth and said, listen, can we just, you know, plug this into, to one of your, um, your aux outputs and, and record it. And the guy was, you know, yeah, of course, no worries. And I think he even, you know, stopped and started it for us when, when there was a break and, um, he, you know, he, he kept an eye on it. And, and so, yeah, like, I know venue, people who run the tech at venues are, are often are often busy, but um, it, it 
really it's so often it doesn't take much to just get a quick line out from you know um from the pa system or whatever and and you actually get much better um audio and and we've now got that whole gig preserved and it sounds great because we were all using mics um and and the the mix was perfect and it's it's you know it's a it's a proper little thing that we've got preserved and it's such a lovely memory to have as well that you can always go back to no matter how long ago it was it's always it's always something there that's of a high quality when you're like wow like we did that you know what's number three Number three actually links really well to your previous one, actually. Um, so mine was digital audio workstations or doors, as they're sometimes known as. Um, so this is software for kind of recording, producing, editing audio files. And there are lots of different ones out there. Um, lots, like again, a bit of a love-hate relationship for some artists. Um, they're not always the most accessible sometimes they are quite complex um but on the whole i think they're a really really important addition for an emerging artist especially um and it's an opportunity for them to really have independence over their their creations um they don't have to pay for studio time to go and record a demo they can kind of get a rough demo at home. They thought of an idea within, you know, a couple of hours. They can have it kind of out of their brain and, and roughly onto this software to make it sound kind of a bit like how it would be, um, you know, if, if you heard it recorded properly. Um, there are free versions that you can have. You know, you 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 spend as much as all as little as you want on this kind of software. Um, but I think most of the most of the time it is quite accessible for artists. And there are so many tutorials now on how to use the, the software. And a lot of them are free of charge on YouTube or, or like articles online. So I do think they are quite accessible. I just think it's, it's changed the game for how artists can do things independently and have that chance to really, like I say, gain that independence for their music and have exactly how they kind of imagined it to sound in the first place completely agree um so i don't know if you if you're a windows or mac but do you have any that you um, that you favor so i don't personally use any um but i made sure when i was kind of looking into them um as a as an artist manager i know a bit about that kind of thing nothing major i wish i knew more and i definitely need to kind of be a bit more on board with it but um i did kind of chat to my artist and and had a really good discussion with them actually about how to use them what kind of things they could do what the benefits and negatives and it was really interesting for me to listen to them talk about this software that they'd kind of relied on a lot more than I had realized as a manager um, and how often they use them and you know I was speaking to my artist called Split the Dealer and he was like you know there are free versions out there that a lot of people use who aren't quite ready to make that investment to be a musician they kind of want to just see what it's like or it's something they do as a hobby in the meantime you know amongst other things in life and or you can pay a bit of money either annually or in one go um, and you can purchase higher quality software that allows you to do more things but it depends on how how willing you are to kind of educate yourself and and spend the time learning which i think is such a important 
tool for an artist to to enjoy learning and and want to gain knowledge um, especially when it comes to software for me I'm someone who I'll watch a couple of tutorials if I don't get it straight away then I get frustrated but I think with this kind of software the longer you spend navigating it and it's a bit like things like um, I guess like Photoshop you kind of make mistakes and you figure things out as you go along Um, so I think for for this kind of software, you make you make as much out of it as you, as you as you want, and as much as you try to get out of it, you kind of get out. Um, but I spoke to my artists, and they said they lo- use Logic um, or Pro Tools. Um, I think they said GarageBand was kind of like a free version that's kind of quite popular. Um, but the ones that they tended to come up with them was was Logic. Yeah, I think what's great about GarageBand is that it feeds really well into Logic. Um, so as as a as a free app, it's it's great if you're on the Mac because the the same like everything's in the same place. It's kind of Logic is kind of GarageBand but more. Um, and like it can get super advanced, uh, but there is this sort of really nice learning curve. Is that if you if you've sort of maxed out at what you can achieve with GarageBand and you you can't fine tune the sound in the way you want, or you just want more power or whatever, um, then you know you can you can take the step up and it's two hundred quid, I think. And the great thing is that I really like about Logic um, is that it's 200 quid for life. Um, and they, they pushed out an update last year, which was a really significant update that, uh, especially for people who do EDM or hip hop, there was a lot of, uh, sample stuff that they did. They built this whole new sample pad system and, uh, rewrote a bunch of stuff and it was just a free update. Um, and so it's, inc- it's actually really good value for money. Uh, and I, I grew up with Adobe Audition. Uh, it was, it used to be Cool Edit Pro, uh, before Adobe bought it, um, back in the 20th century. And I, like, as a teenager, then I had the time and, and I could sit and just play and make awful remixes and loops and, uh, mashups and stuff. But I spent so much time playing with it and I, I still love the software now, but I can't justify the monthly expense. It just, you know, especially when I've bought Logic, um, I, you know, paying whatever it is, 12 uh, up to 20 quid a month. Um, and, and you're, you're paying that every, every month and then every year. It's like when, if you've got a Mac, when you can consider that you can get Logic and it feels like a big outlay, but I bought that two years, three years ago. Um, and I've had several updates since and not had to pay for them. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. I think, like I say, you, you can pay as little or as much as you want in the, depending on the investment you want to make as an emerging artist. And I think it's nice for them to have that option in a way, rather than being frightened off by a, a big fee from day one you you can kind of develop it and if you get to the point where actually you know I'm, I'm ready to kind of take this further and invest a bit more into my career then that option is there for them yeah totally so i'm gonna go with uh a, a web service for my number three um and i'm gonna go with I, i'm sure there's there are lots like these but the one that i was made aware of uh was amuse um which so i i'd released some music back in 2017 and i'd done it through oh i can't remember what service it was but it's one of those where um it puts you in all of the stores uh you know you upload your audio and you do all the things and it puts you puts you where you need to be and you do that on your your computer um and it's a 
shonky interface and it takes a while to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you're then paying X amount per year to keep the listing going. And so you, you are paying out, you know, a bit outright, uh, to, to do that. Um, and they put you in all the places and that's fine. But then a friend of mine, um, clued me into Amuse, um, the back end of 2019. And this is a mobile app. Uh, and I think you can get it on an iPad, uh, iPad, uh, an iPhone and I would imagine on Android as well. And with this, you can take your audio and release it completely through their system. And they do all of the, um, all of the listing, all of the uh, the managing with the various stores. Uh, they'll help navigate the rights management stuff because the, the thing I ended up releasing through Amuse was a cover. Uh, and so you just fill in a few information, uh, bits of information about the artist, uh, the original artist and, and that stuff, and they take care of it and just release it. And it's it's legal. And you uh, the, the important thing is here is I ha- didn't have to pay anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Completely free. And, you know, you still own the rights to the music and all that stuff. And, uh, and I'm sure there are, there are, you know, ways in which they, they are collecting their fees and things. But I think they also have, um, a sort of an artist representation arm as well. But, you know, that's for, for a small percentage of people who, you know, when the music comes through their funnel, they, they, they might sort of pick it up and go, yeah, okay, that's someone that we'll put onto our, our sort of digital label. Um, but I think that the, the fact that services like this exist just further democratize um, the release of, of music to uh, to streaming platforms, especially. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> Distribution is, is a really interesting topic, actually, because a lot of artists are quite confused by it, if I'm honest. It's, it's quite a complicated system. Like you say, the a lot of online ones that you can use aren't very user-friendly and they take a long time to do. I mean, I was trying to upload some tracks to um, a company called PPL today um, who are a collection society, so they kind of collect your royalties and, and pay them. And um, it was very confusing. I had to contact the... Um, the help center be like please just help me please just give me a step by step um <laughs> so some some companies out there who try to make things easy for artists actually make them more difficult and like you say they do take a a fee so you pay a yearly fee to have your music on these platforms some do it single by single some do you pay one fee and you can have as many singles as you like in the year kind of thing a lot of them have their own pros and cons um there's quite a few different ones you can choose out there but it sounds like the one that you use is again user friendly you can do it from your phone you don't have to have another multiple tabs open of which one should i use you know how can i use it i don't have the laptop on me kind of thing and it's all there in one place um and the fact that it's free of charge as well just again what we're saying about making things accessible to artists and not having to invest and you know you can make more of a profit off it if you haven't paid a fee in the first place um and i think it's it's important to have those welcoming companies who want you to make the most of their free service and they want you to release your music and have the opportunity to grow your audience and i think those are those companies are the ones who are artist focused rather than having focuses that might not be 
as beneficial to an emerging artist who's kind of at the beginning of their career. If you're serious about your music, I think you know you you would want to to work with someone like yourself, people who are who are in that that space, um, you know, in terms of artist development and stuff. But for someone like me who's just just doing it for the not for the lols exactly but just uh, you know i had a couple of hobby projects and wanted to to do them um to be able to just sort of do it and then you know set it and forget it kind of thing is it's it's a nice thing and um yeah but i think you know it's it's good that we have people like you who can take <laughs> take some of the uh the the, the burden away from those decisions from um, people who just want to make music all day yeah definitely i think it's interesting i've had so many conversations from people being like well, which one should I use? That like they both do the same thing, and I'm like, they do do the same thing, but they like they have different different elements that you kind of have to read the small print sometimes to to figure out which one's most beneficial, rather than just a big chunky bright letters on their website home homepage. You know, you have to kind of dig a bit deeper sometimes. Yeah, and you have to, I guess, navigate the 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 things that they will promise as well in terms of exposure and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I, I was under no illusions about that, but I think I'm, I'm sure lots of people are because they just think oh, if I go with this platform, they're saying that they can, you know, guarantee me this, or they'll say they'll promote me with this, and it's like, well, you got to read the small print, as you say. Yeah, and they're saying that to the thousands of artists who are on this homepage at the same time as you. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll give you special treatment, yeah. user number 1467. That's the one. Um, <laughs> um, what's number four for you then? Number four is a bit out there, but I do think it is an important you know, technology for artists. And it is recorded sound identification technology, Ooh. which sounds very complicated, but it's like a music recognition algorithm, basically. So the most popular one is an app called Shazam. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use it as an as an example because I think that's like the most most well known one. Um, so they actually started out in 2002 as a service where you would ring a number, you would put your phone to the speaker in the cafe, and they would hang up on the phone on you, and then they would send you a text message to say this is the song and artist that you're asking about, um, and it was free if they couldn't give you an answer. Or it was mm-hmm. 50p if they could give you the correct answer. Um, and it was a model which hadn't really been seen that much. And it was an opportunity for what we were saying earlier was for people who were being put in front of music that they might not have ever thought of listening to before. They could now find out what it was and they could now go home and listen to that or they could go to a record shop and try and find that record. Um, so in 2019, they hit 1 billion record um, uh, downloads, sorry, so 1 billion downloads. And they it's now completely free of charge for an, a user to use. If you are a, a musician, you do have to pay your distributor extra to have your track on Shazam. Um, I don't know if that was the same from frame, same for the one that you mentioned, um, but um, if you're using DistroKid or CD Baby, um, you do pay an extra fee to have your music on Shazam. But the benefit for emerging artists is that Shazam is mostly used for TV, film, adverts. If you're, you know, out in a shop or something, but um, people who find music for tv or film or adverts 
predominantly use music that are from emerging artists who are unsigned, um, mainly because there's less paperwork involved. There's, you know, less people to say, yes, that's fine. And the fee can often be less because it's an emerging artist and you're not asking to use Beyonce, for example, which means that because the music is predominantly for emerging artists, technology like Shazam bring more opportunities for emerging artists because if your song's used in an advert, you know, Honda aren't going to say, oh, this track is by Honeybees. They don't. They don't really. They don't. They're not interested in who, who the music is. They just want music for their advert. Whereas Shazam, if you put your phone to the TV, they're going to tell you straight away who that song is, and it's going to generate more opportunities and engagement for that artist. Um, so I think for emerging artists, that technology is really beneficial. I think it's like an extra pound that you give to your distributor to use it on Shazam. And I think if you know that it's going to be sync worthy or it's going to be, you know, you could hear it in advert or something and you're really actively pushing for it, it's worth the extra pound, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just thought that was a kind of like a bit of a wild card to throw in. But I think it's an important an interesting piece of technology for musicians. I think that's wonderful. I, I, I hadn't occurred to me before, but that is, I as 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 someone who uh, who works with technology and has been uh, in that space for a long old time, I still am convinced that uh, Sp- that uh, Shazam is magic mm-hmm. um, because I cannot get wrap around my head because like i understand the simplistic like yeah it just identifies the sound it's like no 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 i need to know like how it can do that in a crowded bar with a bunch of you know echo and all that stuff around it people waving their phone Mm -hmm. around i need to know how that happens and no one's been able to um adequately convince me that it isn't magic um i i I yeah i think it's wonderful and and i i used it from i don't know two thousand two three-ish or something and i think there's still a little bit of a part of me that doesn't i i, I there's there's often a little moment's hesitation when i pull out my phone to shazam something because i'm like oh no it's gonna it's gonna cost me some credit mm. and that hasn't been the case for a very long time but uh yeah because that's how i started using it and yeah you get the text message back and it's so often worked uh it works so it, it, it it's so few times when it didn't work you know it's um uh, it is it is wonderful uh and i think that's a that's a great choice what was your number four i'm gonna go back to hardware and i'm gonna go with the ipad mm-hmm. not the most accessible to everyone but i think this is so we, we've talked about um doors and um independent musicians solo musicians and and uh people uh, loop pedals and stuff like that and the iPad kind of encompasses all of that, and you can do it in an iPad Mini. Uh, you can do it for you know less than four hundred quid, and you've got this machine that will do all sorts of things. And you can get you know more more modern ones or, or, or better ones where you can plug in uh, a bit more advanced hardware, but you can sit and knock out uh, a tune. You know, if you're you you can. Um, practice or you can work out a song if you're sat with your guitar or a piano or both you can sit and layer out each of these different tracks um to to make a demo and you can just sit there on the ipad and then master it a bit and and 
uh, I've even seen mastering tutorials uh, for audio tracks uh, that have been done entirely on on the iPad using really decent um, software for for handling the mastering uh, of of your recorded uh, song. So you know you might have something that's been more professionally recorded elsewhere, but you can bring those. Um, uh, bring the finished track in or bring bring in individual channels in and 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 master things and and then you can export out into uh amuse or, or into another one of these services and up- upload your audio that way so you've got this complete music sort of ecosystem the creation the distribution and even the discovery uh that's all in one device and you know more more than a phone it's 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 i think easier to use you can even knock out uh some basic um you know uh, melodies if you're doing a bit of edm you can even if you're not a guitarist but maybe you work with one um and you're thinking i need uh, i need a bit of help here sort of figuring out what this these chords should be or this riff should be you can you can use garage bands um like it has these sort of virtual musician things where you can approximate what you want and you can sort of virtually strum the the chords and things and it will help guide you so if you're just layering out a few things to be like this is how it should sound and get a, a musician in or whatever then i think um yeah, it's it's wonderful, and because you're doing that with your hands, it feels much more like you're actually a a real part of the process rather than just handing it off to a computer. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really really good suggestion actually, because like you say, everything is all place and um, all in one place. So every element that you could possibly have for your progression and development is there. You know, you've got like you say, you've got the ability to make the music, you've got the ability to edit it, to distribute it to share it on social media you can view all your analytics um through applications on the ipad um so that's a a really really good suggestion um i think it's in really like you say it's not always the most accessible in terms of financially but i think it's something that is worth worth the investment because of how much you can really utilize it and you would end up if you used it correctly I think you would end up making that money back quite quickly because of the vast amount you can do on it. And there's new apps and things you can do on it every single day that are being adapted and updated. And you can do anything. You could start your day off with Pilates in the morning. Then you can, you know, (laughs) sign in on Clubhouse or whatever it's called and have a conversation about, you know, the music industry and how's that's going, or you can watch a live stream of someone DJing on a beach around the world somewhere. There's, there's so much you can do on it all in one place. Do a Zoom session exactly. with your bandmates. Yeah, all in one place. And it you, it's portable. You can take it to the park whilst you're sitting in the sunshine. I just I think it's a really good a really good suggestion actually. I think I've I didn't realise you don't realise until you sit and think about how much you can really utilise from an iPad until you kind of sit and think about it. Yeah. I think the uh, I, I love the mini. Uh, I think I don't own one anymore, but they that's one of my favourite devices. I've got um I've got an iPad Pro and, and it is it is my favorite computing device. Um, and I love every time I, I, you know, I get the chance to, to use it and I use it for all sorts of things now. And yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to use. What is number five then? Number five for me, again, bit of a love, hate, controversial choice, but, um, I've gone for targeted social advertising. Oh, okay. Because yeah, that makes sense. I think although 
it is a bit controversial in terms of people don't think you should pay to advertise, especially on social media. I think it opens up a lot more opportunity to get in front of people. And it's the same as what we were saying about investing. You can put a pound in and and still reach a thousand people, or you could put thirty pound in and reach, you know, more people. It's again, it's whatever you want to invest in it. But I just feel like it has the opportunity to break down any kind of geographical barriers. You can reach anyone. Um, you can. There's so much tailoring you can do to really pinpoint who you want your advertisement to be in front of. And I've used it for my business successfully. My artists have both utilised it really well. There's so much information online about how to target your advertisements effectively, what to do, what not to do. And if it's used properly and you put time in it, it can be really, really effective. And it's something that I think, especially over the past year or so, people are, you can't play gigs to promote your merchandise or to be in front of a new audience from a four band bill and be like, please stream my single online or whatever. So if I can, you know, make an advertisement and tailor it to the fans of other bands who are similar to the artists that I'm managing, which is kind of like the same as what I would do as if they were playing a gig, then it makes sense. Um, So I think it is quite controversial and people are still kind of on the fence about advertising online. But I do think if it's used properly um, and with a bit of research, it can be quite effective for them. So where's the where's in your sense where's the the sort of the pushback coming from against the online advertising? Because you said um, people shouldn't advertise on online or in social media. So what's the sort of the negative that you're that you're saying? Um, I think a lot of people think that it's not worth the money because they haven't maybe done it properly. They maybe have rushed it, not tailored it properly, and therefore they're not seeing any results from it because they haven't they haven't done it properly um i think sometimes you put like i say people put their own money in it and when they don't see results they get quite defensive oh well it was it was never going to work anyway kind of thing the amount of times i've done that <laughs> yeah yeah um it does work and and there there are evident successes from for businesses who do it and a lot of businesses that's the only way they advertise is is through online advertising. So I I think that's where a lot of the people question it a bit just because they haven't had their own successes from it, I think. But also because people think it makes it not very accessible. It should should success be focused on how much money you can put in to to advertising it shouldn't Should but it, it is <laughs> is it yeah you know yeah. i think that's where a lot of the uh questioning comes from is it is it fair yeah no it isn't but that is unfortunately the the, the world we're in and that's been the case that i think that's always been the case what what are you specific like what what is the content of your ad are you advertising a single are you advertising a gig or like does it vary it does vary 
especially over the past 12 months, we've been um, focusing on video. Um, and we've been focusing on like video sessions and video content because statistically that's the best responded to advertisement. People like something visual and that they can connect with. So for us, the videos have done really, really well because people like people can see people are engaging with it. They want to see what it's about. Um, a lot of content that goes viral, if you want to use that word, is is video because people can spend you know 10 seconds watching it and if they don't like it they would just scroll on but it still counts as an engagement and then the engagement goes up which means it's shown to more people and it just spirals mm. so for us um the the video content is is something that we we're very heavily pushing um for myself as a business i push um up my new services if i have a new service that i'm offering um, I might do an advert. I might just put £10 in, um, but it, it does make a difference. And like I say, it starts to snowball that algorithm. So you put as much or as little in as possible. Um, but I think the the content that you see on advertised on Facebook is, is quite a mixed bag sometimes. But we try to push content that we know is going to do well to the right people rather than pushing it to random people who obviously aren't going to engage with it. Definitely. Um, well, my, my, my final one then is, uh, this is the one I've pushed down the list because I'm conflicted about it because I, I think, I think there is good and there is bad. I think this is a, this is a double-edged sword and actually it, it touches on a couple of things that you've mentioned. Um, so I've gone with YouTube and I think, so the, the negatives, I think, um, there are issues around content ID, which massively need to be uh, addressed, uh, which is the the sort of the downside of the of the sort of Shazam uh, the, the the you know era that that we're in, um, and I think that I think they deal with it. And I, this is a rant I've I've, I've um, spewed many a times, but I think they deal with it better than SoundCloud do. Um, but I think just because you know SoundCloud are so so they seem so petrified of, of of getting any kind of um of interference from another label whereas uh you know youtube tend to just demonetize you and then yes you can get flagged and there are there are definitely definite issues that way but it has given people a platform um and a, a, a means of discovery that they just wouldn't have have had otherwise i think um i've discovered uh bands a few years ago i, I did a, a live um a live podcast and I would play uh, a couple of music tracks every week and uh, I, you know, I, I did my PRS, I was a good boy, um, uh, but I would go online and I would find these, I would try and find interesting covers or interesting interpretations of the songs that were popular at the time and through that I found a Welsh bluegrass band called The Beef Seeds who would do um, these like really countrified uh covers of uh of pop songs uh that were out right now and they were really good and really well produced um they they sort of burned brightly for a couple of for i don't know a year maybe not even that and then they kind of they they drifted but um i found them through youtube there's quite a few that i, I found exclusively through youtube and i think um you know we know all the stories of the biebers and the and the the jesse jays and people who, who came up that way and i think i'm sure it must be so much harder now as someone who was brand new to emerging music um i couldn't 
believe it when I discovered, I feel like I'd opened a door that I shouldn't have opened. And it was just artists who weren't Justin Bieber and people who were in the charts. It was musicians who I'd never heard of before. And I remember thinking it's like a, an amazing secret that I'd found was this whole new world of emerging music. And it is incredible for emerging musicians. And I think it used to be, there used to be like a cover culture where a lot of musicians would use it as a platform to cover songs and popular songs. And they were very smart and they would release covers of the songs that were just about to drop, which meant that people wanted that exclusive scoop before it was available. And they ended up watching a cover instead because they'd found the track and got covers of it and they were generating views and is it's a really great platform the fact that it's still free to upload is is incredible considering the size of the company but i know exactly what you mean in terms of the saturation behind it how do you stand out of the you know millions of people who are doing the same thing and there's definitely questions to be asked about how effective it is of for building a, a new audience but I do think it's similar to what I was saying about the um, social adverts that if you use and upload to YouTube properly and you do your homework and you make sure that you know what effective tags are how to write the description to lead to more views how to do this how to do that it can be really beneficial sometimes those numbers that you generate through youtube are just as effective as the numbers that you might get on spotify for example it's a whole new different audience it's people who a lot of artists now post on um, YouTube for their current audience because they think that it's that audience who are interested and invested enough to want to watch their music videos whereas a lot of people list on Spotify because it's so quick and you can just click a song and go to the next one whereas with a music video you're potentially spending three four minutes on that one artist I think it's a lot more personable and it you can upload such a range of videos now that I think it has changed how an artist works. I know a lot of artists um, flicker between uploading music videos or they might upload video diaries from tour and they give their audience an opportunity to get to know their personalities kind of thing. I think it's used for such a multitude of reasons and I think it it can be really, really a pivotal part of an an artist's career that I don't think is utilised as much considering it's a free tool. Yes. Um, in between the uh, hammering that is happening um, outside my building, I will I will uh, continue and say, yeah, I, completely. Um, and I, I, I'm I'm grateful to have your your perspective on it as well because um, you know we only know this stuff as as consumers, and we know how many people do discover music and just keep it on, use it as the radio. Um, you know, the, the video aspect is almost irrelevant, uh, especially given the fact that there's so much, the sort of the autoplay, you know, you finish run, one song and something else comes on and there's just so much of it available. It's just everything is on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. And that's the same with things like tutorials or, yeah, you know, webinars and things that, you really need to for day-to-day life like my mum the other day wanted to I can't remember what she wanted to do but she wanted to do something like DIY and my brother like 
my brother was like, Mum, just search it on YouTube. What do, what someone else do it? <laughs> and it's incredible now how you use it in everyday life for so many different things. Um, and, you know, YouTube have also kind of introduced this live streaming element now. And it's, it's, a, it's a place where you can really do multiple things at once. And they've they've understood that and they've built on that. Um, and they've looked at the trends, for example, you know, influencers and, and you know, social media stars and, and how they can utilise that on YouTube and get them across to YouTube, you know, um, which I think is 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 a, is a sign of companies like Google um, really get keeping up with the times and the trends that are ever changing all the time. So I think there's a lot to there's a lot that will change with YouTube. It's going to adapt um, just as much as it has been from when it when it first was kind of founded. It's going to change all over again. I give it a couple of years and it'll be a completely different platform. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, do you know much about YouTube Shorts uh, and how that might affect things? No, I don't actually. So YouTube Shorts is, it's still uh, mainly in India where they're, they're doing a huge beta test, but it is their TikTok play, essentially. Oh, um, yeah. So any any vertical video that is tagged that where you include hashtag shorts in the title will be eligible. Um, uh, and as long as it, I think it has to be a maximum of fifteen seconds, and it has to be vertical. And given what TikTok has done for for music, or what, it would be interesting to see what, if anything, you know, where, where are YouTube too late to that market, or can they bring the YouTube audience over to that kind of aesthetic? Do they have the same kind of algorithm that allows for this sort of weird jumble of uh, of things to arrive? Um, it, but it, you know, it could be an interesting thing if a if you can get a band that can put across the essence of their song in fifteen seconds and and at least give people that that hook to then go and find out more. Um, it, it could be a, you know, a, a free advertising model. Who knows? It's really interesting because I know there's a lot of people who refuse to download TikTok. Right. So, for example, my boyfriend refuses to download TikTok because he thinks he's too old for it. <laughs> so he watches he watches TikToks that have been uploaded to Instagram. Yes. So it doesn't look like he's watching TikTok. Yeah. I'm like, but you're watching a TikTok. No, no, no. I'm watching Instagram reel. I'm not engaging with, okay. with, the, with the TikTok. No, yeah. no, no. No. no, so, but I think that's the same for YouTube Shorts. Will be that people who don't want to download TikTok mm. can access that 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 um that aesthetic almost can, can access yeah can access that through a different app that's yeah. for adults. You know? <laughs> I don't I'm not on, I'm not on TikTok. I'm on YouTube. That's yeah. where we're at. So Absolutely. I think I think it'll be interesting. Um, I don't know if YouTube are a bit late for that, but it might be that there's a completely different outlook to how it's used um, compared to how, you know, people who are maybe a bit younger use TikTok. So this is Ella Gregg and uh, a fantastic conversation. Um, yeah, as, as you will have noticed towards the end there, uh, my... Uh, sound recording did get invaded by uh, a bunch of builders. Uh, it also got invaded by 
a complete loss of internet for about 15 minutes. But um, if I did my editing job correctly, you didn't know when that happened. (laughs) Um, My thanks to Ella for uh, joining me on the episode. And uh, of course, it's not done. This is, you know, we've we've got a job to do, but uh, this is the uh, admin portion of the program, the much lauded uh, admin portion. Uh, And also thank you to Stuart Parker, uh, who is now my outgoing uh, guest uh, wrangler and and pre-production wizard. it's been it's been loads of fun, and he's he's basically put this whole sort of music uh, rock block. I can't think of another music mini series together. Um, next week we are going to be talking about procrastination with Bryony Williams, uh, who is a, a musician. And uh, after that, we've got uh, discussions on albums of twenty twenty, and also modern indie bands that's coming up as well in the coming weeks and uh i think then we're going to take ourselves a little bit of a break uh purely because some life stuff is getting in the way and uh, i there, there are there are some boulders i need to move or at least navigate and figure out how to get around uh before i can uh come back with some new episodes and um Uh, and find some new guests and stuff i've got loads of ideas for people to approach who are uh, already up for doing the show so uh it's it's more a life admin problem and um and things that at the moment are monopolizing my attention so uh yes um but we we've got you know we've got a lovely handful of episodes coming up uh, that I I know you're going to enjoy. So uh, if you have enjoyed them and you want to tell people uh, about them, we got some lovely lovely reviews uh, on Twitter. I haven't got them to hand at the moment, but um, I, I know that that people do enjoy the show and and uh, and reach out every now and again. So it's it's really appreciated. Uh, if you want to tell people about it, listenvpod.com. That's the easiest way. Uh, that everything's there. All the episodes, all the show notes, all the links and everything. Uh, and you'll also find links to the things we've discussed in your app of choice. Uh, you can follow me at amarkstedman uh, on, on the Twitter and stuff. Um, but now we have a very important job to do. So let us get back to uh, our top five list of positive technologi- te- te- technological... I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Uh, technological developments in music. So, um, while we've been chatting, I've been having a go at drafting a, a combined uh, top five list out of our uh, out of our uh, respective lists, and I, I wanted to run this by, by you, see what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, from five to one, I've gone iPad, uh, recorded sound ID tech, the loop pedal, live streaming, and then doors and the digital audio workstations. What do you think about that? you know is there is there anything missing do we want to reorder anything what are your thoughts i'm really glad that loop pedal was in there mm-hmm. um that was something that i hadn't really considered um but i do think that it's a lot more important and i i don't know if i would have originally seen it as a piece of technology it definitely is but i don't think i would have considered it as a as a piece of technology until you kind of put that in my head so i'm really glad that loop pedal was in there um, I think doors are definitely number one and they're the catalyst for everything else that we've spoken about. You know, I think it's an opportunity for artists to really engage and and begin their career within this industry. And that's where it all starts off. And you're not going to have many of the other things that we've spoken about without that. So I think that being a number one is, is really, really good. And I I agree with the others. I think... Our whole, all the, all the, you know, suggestions that we've made are all absolutely vital. 
for artists and if we could have a, a top 10 they'd all they'd all fit on there very well so to write it down to five was always going to be a bit tricky but I do think those five are really really beneficial and as a list for an artist a tick off um, is only going to put them in really really good stead for for progression i think it's a re- i think we've worked we think we've done very good we've smashed it on creating a list that is uh these we definitely have um that's going to benefit musicians so i'm proud of us very good job for us i'm very very <laughs> proud of us as well go team us um so i uh-huh. will i will formally ask you the question then ella greg do you consent to this list i do consent to this list so you, uh, I know you had a few uh, items on your list, um, and uh, I'm, I'm curious to know what uh, hasn't made your top five um, that, that is also worth a mention. Um, so I had two other things that I'd kind of been arguing myself for to put on. The first one was collaborative workstations. So things like Google Drive, where you can have shared documentation, you can have a shared workspace, everyone's, um, you know, all up-to-date communicated with it's one of the most used frequently used effective tools i have with my artists everything is put it on the drive put it on the drive this is on the drive you see in the drive they must be sick and tired of me but (laughs) it's it's something that i couldn't live without um in terms of being an artist manager so that was definitely one that i was really really wanting to kind of talk about but i couldn't get it as top as these other five and the other one was um social media scheduling Mm. just because i think that it's a it's a tool that a lot of artists aren't using enough of um there's always an argument as whether it, it sounds too automated and not natural enough but i think even if you just put in a post every day to work around and everything else was you know real time um, it just keeps that consistency going and that consistency leads to the better algorithms and then more engagement. Um, but they were my other two that I had. I think they're they're excellent picks. Um, so uh, where can people find out about you and uh, 321 Artists and um, keep up with uh, with your work, your artists? And, and if uh, people want to um, start working with you, where should they go? So the website is just 321artists.com. Um, the first time you go onto the website, you'll be invited to join our mailing list. So that's where all our exclusives are. We have um, exclusive downloadables that you can access and information and, you know, guests that we have on our mailing list. Um, my email Email is just ella at three to artist.com and I'm happy to answer any questions or thoughts or listen to any music. Um, and then all our socials are just three to one artists. Superb. Well, this has been uh, a, a right pleasure, and um, it's it's really nice to talk about music from um, from a, a different um, perspective. So, Ella, thank you so much for uh, for being on List Envy. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> 